Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. We're in a series studying the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to invite you to grab the Bible, turn to the Old Testament, and lean in as we discover what God's Word says about godly living in 2024. Hey, it's good to see you. Um, I'm going to jump right into it. If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 to 4. It's four verses today. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the most surprising books of the Bible. We've been doing a series on it over the last little while. Um, we're kind of only a few weeks left in it. Um, But we're at the part now where we kind of want to show you some of the more upside down ways that the the preacher, the guy who's actually speaking in in Ecclesiastes, we call him Kohelet, which is the Hebrew word for preacher, um, what he's trying to, the the way that he views the world and how different it is. Um, So let me begin by telling you totally ahead of time that this sermon is going to be filled with 1990s references to many different things. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. And let's kick it off with a video that immediately came to mind when I read the first line of this. It's from one of the great shows in the history of shows, uh, Seinfeld. So, George Costanza. Oh, I feel great for 85. You know, the average lifespan for an American male is like... 72. You're really kind of pushing the envelope there. I'm not afraid of dying. I never think about it. You don't? Well, I think about it a lot. I think about it at my age. Imagine how much I'll be thinking about it at your age. All I'll do is just keep thinking about it till it drives me insane. I'm grateful for every moment I have. Grateful? How can you be grateful when you're so close to the end? When you know that any second, poof, bam, oh, it could all be over. I mean, you're not stupid. You can read the handwriting on the wall. It's a matter of simple arithmetic, for God's sake. I guess I just don't care. What are you talking about? How can you sit there and look me in the eye and tell me that you're not worried? Don't you have any sense? Don't you have a brain? Are you so completely senile you don't even know what you're talking about anymore? (laughs) Um, So the reason it's funny, of course, is because uh, nobody sits across a table from an elderly person and talks about how uh, death is on the doorstep. And nobody would encourage that person to think, you know, the best thing for you is to consider how close you are to death. Uh, In our culture, we try our very best to avoid talk about death. We have lots of special words for it, right? He passed away. Uh, He he is up there. Whatever. We have all sorts of special language that we use for death. And um, what's really surprising is that uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, when you start looking up what how we ought to view death, one of the things that Kohelet says is, oh, you should think about it a lot. I mean, he, he basically plays the George Costanza here. And when you read what he has to say, you're a little bit put off by it. You're not sure what, what to do, especially he's a Christian, right? We Christians are like, wait a minute. We have stuff about death in the Bible that helps us think through these things. In fact, one of the best passages in the entire Bible is 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Every Easter, we proclaim this. We say, because Jesus rose from the dead, death no longer owns us. It doesn't actually have a sting in the tail for us. And because that's the case, uh, Christians are in a really unique moment. You have a really unique opportunity because um, if death no longer has a sting and it doesn't pose the threat, Maybe it could become a really good companion. I mean, you, like if you had a tiger and uh, you, you decided that you were going to declaw and defang the tiger, I imagine that the tiger would be a lovely pussycat. Like I, I would imagine it'd be great to have a tiger around the house. I mean, just to scare off the Amazon guy at the very least, but you could, 
he'd probably be a great companion to walk around the street with and stuff. You know, of course, that he doesn't pose a threat. Everybody else thinks he poses a massive threat, but you're like, nah, he doesn't, he doesn't pose a threat. He's lost his sting. So death for the Christian, perhaps, could be helpful to think about. Well, that's pretty much what Kohelet's going to try to argue here in the next uh, few minutes in in, in, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 to 4. So let's think about death, folks. Glad you came to church. You will be. Let's think about about death. death. Uh, Two steps to this. Number one, I'm going to try to argue the importance of thinking about death, which is largely what this text is trying to emphasize. And second, what are the outcomes of thinking about death? So then we're going to try ourselves to think, all right, so if we accept the premise that we should, we should think about death more, what will happen in our lives when we start thinking about it more? How will it reframe the way we think and live to consider the fact that every single person in the room, like Thelma and Louise, right, 90s, is headed toward a cliff? Death is undefeated. Well... Except for one. So uh, let's talk about death. The importance of thinking about it and then the outcomes of thinking about it. Here's the first bit of that. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment. This, this is basically perfume. But really expensive perfume. Like really nice. I don't know. Coco Chanel. That's the only one I know. So I'm assuming it's expensive and it smells nice. My mom had it once and she cried when she got it for Christmas. So I imagine that it's a, it's a lovely, lovely scent. A good name is better, though, than precious ointment. In what way? I mean, a good name, he's talking about your reputation. A good name is better than precious ointment. Have you ever uh, walked behind someone who's appealing to mostly the men in the room? Have you ever walked behind somebody whose perfume is just beautiful, right? You don't know the person, you don't know the woman at all. She's walking in front of you. And the, the perfume is just, is just beautiful. Perfume is interesting in that it is, uh, it is meant to allure. It is meant to advertise that this person who's wearing it is actually a beautiful person. The kind of person you'd want to be around, because if you smell that good, maybe you're the rest of your, your, your insides, meaning your, your character and all those things, maybe there there is good. The challenge, of course, with perfume is that it's a little surfacey, right? It's a little surfacey. The difference between perfume and a good name is that the good name is actually what the smell of the inward character is giving off. So whereas perfume is advertising some, something in terms of possibility, right? this person could possibly be beautiful, they're advertising beauty, a good name is actually fulfilled possibility, right? Well, that's what he's trying to get here. A good name is better than precious ointment, and, and he's going to compare it to the day of death and the day of birth. He's trying to say, look, look, the day of your death is better than your day of your birth, which is a shocking statement. What are you talking about? The day of my death is better than the day of my birth. Well, in what way? Well, similarly, this is called a parallel. uh, In Hebrew poetry, you call these a parallelism, meaning the first two lines here are saying the same thing as the second lines. And so you've got to figure out in what way is the day of death the same as precious ointment in which, uh, in what way, sorry, is the same as a good name. And in which way is the day of birth the same as precious ointment? Well, look, in the day of your birth, there's a lot of promise, yeah? We love to think about the promise. The little baby you're holding in your arms and you're looking at him and you start thinking about all the things that this baby could end up doing one day. One of the best poems or pieces of writing I've read in the last, I don't know, several years actually came from the pen of a, um, of a, of a soccer fan who supports the same soccer team that I do. He's in England, and he had a baby boy. And he's decided to write this ode, basically, to his, to his newborn son. And so here's what he wrote. Doesn't know his baby much at all. He just held him in his arms. One day, I'll take you to the football. That's the real football, the one where you play with your feet. For those of you, you okay? 
Because the foot? Okay. One day I'll take you to the football. You'll be cold and ask me which team we are. I'll buy a program for you, but it'll be me that keeps it in a drawer forever. One day you'll laugh at nothing and it'll be better than any joke I've ever told. One day we'll build a fort. One day we'll go to Disney and you can meet the real Mickey. One day you'll cry so much I think you're broken. One day I'll tell you that when mummy went into labor, I panicked and immediately ordered myself a Papa John's pizza. And when the doorbell rang, or when the doorbell rang, she assumed it was the cab taking us to the hospital. It wasn't. It was a guy delivering a pie. One day we'll watch Frozen. And then the day after that, we'll probably watch it again. And one day we'll stop watching Frozen and then we'll watch Frozen 2. One day we'll go to the beach. I'll catch a crab if they're not extinct by then. One day we'll listen to music in the car and I'll try to explain what UK garage was. One day you won't need me to get dressed, to get you dressed. One day I might need you to dress me. One day you'll figure out that your uncle is actually my brother and it'll blow your tiny mind. One day you'll be able to hold my hand instead of me just holding yours. One day you'll want to go camping. That'll be a firm no for me. But maybe you can join the scouts or something and go with them. One day you'll draw me a picture and I'll keep it on the fridge under a magnet that me and your mom bought when we went to Spain. One day I'll ask you about school and who your mates are and what subjects you like. One day we'll go on a plane and you won't be scared because why would you be? One day you'll have an Instagram or TikTok or a microchip in your brain or whatever they're doing those days. One day I'll show you pictures and videos to try to prove I had a, little, I had a life before I was your dad. I'll say I had long hair and went to a party with famous people and you won't believe me. One day you'll be too big for your clothes or your bed or cuddles. One day you'll love someone more than me. One day I won't see you every day. One day you'll be 18 and I'll wonder how that happened and why I didn't spend more time with you. One day you'll be angry with me. You'll realize all the ways I'm imperfect in which I messed up and all I can say is I'm already sorry. And then I always tried to do my best. One day we'll argue because I'm old now and I don't understand the world because you think people should be allowed to marry their phone and I don't agree. One day I won't be here. And one day I'll wonder at how I knew all this after just one day. But for now, that one day is more than enough. It's like perfume, right? It's beautiful. And none of it's real. I mean, I have no idea if any of that will ever happen in the life of this guy. No idea what will take place with his son or anything. It, it's like perfume. It's the, his son, his newborn child, as he's holding him, is emitting promise. And he's writing about promise and hope. But the difference is... When it comes to the day of your death and we eulogize you, we stand up in front and we start writing poetry about who you were, that's substance. That's the real you. That wasn't just some emitted, like, this is what I want the world to think of me. It's actually what the world thought of you. Because you lived all those days and you showed everybody that that's actually the case. And that is better. That kind of beauty, that's better. So the day of your death says way more than the day of your, the day of your birth. It's better then to go to the house of mourning, right? This is just to a funeral. Then to go to the house of feasting, to a party, Right? That's what everybody's like. Okay, so I, 
I got a phone call today from a friend, and he said uh, that he wanted me to attend a funeral with him, and it's his brother. And then at the same time, I got a phone call from another friend, and he said that he wanted me to come to a party where they'd be watching the Super Bowl. So it was a choice between, like, disgusting, happy snacks and death. And everyone chose death. Right? Although, and I, to be honest with you, watching the 49ers in a Super Bowl is worse than death, for, from my point of view, but I'm a Seahawks fan. Anyway, look, here, they won once, they did, a lot more recently than the Packers and Bears, I'll tell you It's better to go to the house in the morning than to go to the house a feasting. No, it's not. We would never make that choice. Not once in our life would we make that, that choice. Why? Why would you make that choice? Well, for this is the end of all mankind. What is? Uh, the house of mourning is. When, when you're sitting in the funeral that you chose to go to instead of watching the Super Bowl, you are not being distracted from the Reality, the stark truth that every single person who has breath in their lungs will not one day soon. The Super Bowl will distract you from that. You will not think about that once while you're eating the food. Well, you might, I mean, when you're eating the Dorito, you might like, this might kill me. But that's the fleeting, this is a fleeting thought. It will just go away. But when you're sitting there listening to somebody talk about this life of this person and seeing the wreath in front and their picture up there and maybe the casket, you cannot dodge it. You have to focus on the fact that I will someday be there. Uh, the living, he says, when they are in the house of mourning, recognizing that it's the end of all mankind, the living will lay it to heart. That's what you do at a funeral, he's saying, is that you'll lay it to heart. And that's a good thing, that you lay it to heart. Can I be honest with you? Uh, we don't lay it to heart. If there is one thing that I can say without apology in the Western world is that we do not like to talk about death. We, we, we just, I'll be honest with you, this might be the only sermon in your life that you hear that's just about death. We don't, we don't like talking about it. Let me give you my uh, personal experience with death. Uh, I, I did not see a dead body for my entire childhood. Uh, my grandfather died when I was 12, but my parents told me, just stay at home for the funeral. I don't remember, we never went to the funeral. Just stay at home. It was a long way away. I was living in Seattle. They were way out in Boston. So my parents said, just stay here. They went to Boston. and I think that they had kind of an, uh, an, an open casket. That was sort of the thing for a while. Nowadays, they don't do that as much. You know, I, I, The other day, I was asking somebody... Uh, they, they said, well, we're having a viewing. I didn't know what that was. We're having a viewing. And the reason I don't know what that was is because most of the places I've been in my life, they don't, they don't do that. They don't have a moment where everybody walks by the casket and sees the body of this, of this individual sitting there. The only time in my life where I made the first time and only time that I've ever been into a funeral with an open casket was when I was a youth pastor in a farming community and my father-in-law who is the pastor of the church came and said to me look I need you to be an usher for the funeral so I stood at the door that was my job right wear my best clothes uh which was like sweats and a long <laughs> now I stood at my the door and they and they wheeled in this casket and the top was open and there was a woman woman's body in there and she was white as a sheet and I had never seen anything like it. I totally froze. It's been imprinted in my head. I could draw it for you if you want. It's the closest I'd ever been to a dead body. 
I knew people died. I just never seen anybody who had died. Uh, a little bit later, uh, we, we, we lived, when I was there, uh, in this farming community, we lived above a morgue. I think I've said that before. Uh, if you didn't know that, it, it, everyone should live a, above a morgue sometime in their life because it is a, quite an experience, right? Like two in the morning, all of a sudden the garage door goes open and you're like, what's that? Oh, yeah. But when I used to have to pay the rent, I'd have to go downstairs and Walt was, our, was the funeral director or the mortician and he owned the building. We'd go downstairs and have to pay the rent with a check. And so sometimes Walt was not in his office because that's not the only thing morticians do. I didn't think about that. But when I went downstairs on one occasion, I knocked on the, the door of the office. He wasn't there. And so I started wandering around because I had this check in my hand. I didn't know what to do with it. I was like, I don't, it was the last day of the month. I wanted to make sure he got it. I ended up walking down and there's a, there were folding, uh, like, a, like an accordion door, Right. And it had not totally shut, and I heard somebody in there. And so I just walked in with my check, and there is Walt painting the face and body of a naked man who was whiter than the lady in the casket. And I, Walt turned to me. He smells, listen, our house always smelled like formaldehyde all the time. He turned to me and he went, oh, 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 you shouldn't be in here. And I'm, honestly, he had to come over and pull me out because I was like, uh. Makeup on this man's face to make it look like he, he was alive. Because look, we want the corpse to look more alive, right? It's kind of a game we play a little bit. I mean, listen, I, I prefer it. But we kind of want to make it look like, well, they're not... Not bloodless dead. Still got a little bit of life in their faces. My mother died November 11th, 2011. And I remember that afternoon being called into the hospital after being away for just a few hours, have a shower. And she had died when I left. So I went back and I walked into the room and I leaned over, and they had brushed her hair back so that we wetted it and brushed it straight back. And I leaned over, and I kissed her forehead, and it was the first time in my life I had kissed my mother's forehead and felt it as cold, as cold as room temperature, cooler than that. I, I, it would, I didn't know what to do with it. I still feel it on my lips. You stare, that, you stare at that dead body for a little bit and you're like, oh my, oh my. And you turn away. I don't, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to spend time thinking about it. Most people I know, when COVID started and they started putting the, the numbers on TV, were like, that's a lot of people dying. And then people who were critical of it were saying, guys, People die, this many people die every year. So if you were reading, people would say, oh yeah, that many people died from COVID? Well, look what heart disease does. We should have a running counter for heart disease. And I was like, what? That many people die from heart disease? Yeah. But every time you sat and watched TV in Canada, numbers on the corner. You know, it used to be the case that when you came to a church, uh, they, would, they always put their, t their, their graveyards next to the church. Uh, lots of reasons for that, but I'm sure one of them was that every time you came to the church, you had to walk through the dead people. You walked through them when you went in, you walked through them when you went out, and what a message that tells you. Someday... Sooner than you think, you and I will die. And we want to avoid it as much as we possibly can. We like our churches far from the graveyard, though. 
We like our caskets closed. We like our corpses alive. We like our kids at home for funerals. We shield our eyes from death. And Kohelet's argument in this little passage is essentially that is all to our detriment. You are losing something fundamental that you gain if you stare death in the face and do not look away. If you realize that maybe for the first time in your life that this life is ending and you dwell on it for a minute. Instead of trying to find some distraction to get you away from it. It's the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. Why, how in the world can you say that? Sor sorrow is better than laughter. Well, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. This word heart, this means about the, 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 the core of your being. The deep down inside, you will be made glad more by sorrow than you would by laughter. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, right? It's in the funeral, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. It's just hanging out with the partiers all the time. You are a fool if you just choose that all the time as opposed to dwelling on death, which of course raises the next other question. Like, wait, help, help me understand exactly what you're trying to get, get at. And so I came up with a little image that might be helpful, it might not. Here's what I think he's trying to say. Um, so we have a laundry room, and occasionally uh, our laundry room smells to high heaven. I don't, I don't know why, but there are moments where you walk in, and you're like, Ooh. now, admittedly, our dog is in there often, and dogs sometimes do things that make it smell, but what you do is you look around to see if that's happened, and it's not happened, but it still stinks. But you and I know that sometimes, you know, a, a, an old rag or something gets thrown toward the washing machine and it goes to the other side where all the socks are and it goes down there and then it gets rotten, starts, starts to stink like, you know, my kid's shoes after baseball and you walk in the room and it's disgusting. Now, now here's my approach to that. Uh, have you guys heard of this thing called Febreze? Yeah, it's good stuff. I'm just going to tell you. Here's my approach to it. Spray it, right? Just spray it over it. And here's why it's my approach. It, it's, it's immediately satisfactory. I don't have to do any. I don't have to search. I don't have to go through the hard work of looking for the stupid smelly rag. I don't have to do it. I can cover it up with the Febreze. I don't know if you've ever done this before, though, that Febreze... It just doesn't work. It doesn't last very long. And I actually think it adds a special kind of awful to the smell afterwards. And you would say, well, the better thing for you to do, of course, Jeff, is for you to take the time, whether it's hard or not, to go look for that rag, to find the source of it, and to pull it out. See, your heart, Jeff, will be made glad by the harder, deeper work of finding the source of the trouble and pulling it out than by just constantly covering it over so that you can, it, it can be distracted from for a very brief short of time, um, period of time. I, actually, I think that's what he's saying here, is that, look, the reason that sorrow is better than, than laughter is that la laughter's fine, it, but it's Febreze. It, it's a distraction, and it sprays over the top of the reality that death stinks. And it's always waiting for you. You can try to fix it with whatever activity you want by saying, well, I'm going to watch more movies or I'm going to focus more on the sports or I'm going to get into dance or I don't, I, don't, I don't care. Read a book, play a video game. I want to be distracted from it. Right. But even after the distraction, it's still there. And it'll start to smell again. And you can keep trying to distract yourself, distract yourself, distract yourself, but the cliff, the cliff is there. It will, it will come in time. It's better to do longer reflection and deal with it truly than to just febreze it over and over. And so his argument is, man, you guys think about death. All right. 
So, okay, we buy your argument. I can see what you're trying to say, Kohelet. Uh, fine. There's a value in thinking about death, but, but what are the outcomes then? Let's, let's think this through. I got three of them. There are more, but I've got three that, I, that, I, that came to mind immediately that I think are in line with what Kohelet's trying to say here in the rest of the book. Uh, number one, I think death reorders our priorities. That shouldn't take a lot of convincing for you. Uh, you've faced death before or gotten close to it. Everybody has. I, you've driven a car in Chicago, you have. <laughs> like, I promise. Uh, we, I remember one of the closest uh, to fatal car accidents I've ever had was when I was dating my girlfriend, now my wife, and I came down to the end of, uh, of the street where she was living. She was in the passenger seat. I was in the driver's seat, and it was icy. And I... I you know, it's, it's nearby where you live. You, you come out to the exit and you're not thinking because there's no one there ever. And I came onto this road and I pulled to the right. And as soon as I pulled out and I had gone wide, right? Because nobody's ever come in the other way. I went gone right, wide to the right. And as soon as I turned, I was facing a Subaru head on. And I don't know how this guy stopped his car, but he, he stopped. He hit the brakes and the back end of his car swerved like this. I kept going. He went back around and he swerved around us just as I swerved this way. So that we were kind of parallel to each other at the end. And he was looking out of his window to me and I was looking out of my window to him. And we sort of looked at each other for a second. Like, oh my word. That was death. We just, we just ducked it. Thank God, he was a Subaru driver, so he didn't get mad because peace on earth and all that, you know. <laughs> so we, I rode down the, the road, but hard racing. Remember I had to pull over to the side for a few minutes just to stop. The rest of that day, I remember thinking about death. I just remember thinking to myself, I mean, I, I at the time was like 18, 19, 19 years old, and I was thinking, you know, when you're 19, life is filled with possibility and joy and excitement. And, and now all day long, I'm faced with thinking about death. And what it did to me, quite honestly, is it, is it made me start to smell the roses. You know that. That's, that's, what, that's what happens. You start thinking, is, are the things that I'm living for the things that I want to be living for? 90s movie, You've Got Mail. They're, they're in an elevator. Tom Hanks is in the movie. He's dating this woman who is awful. We're waiting for him to date Meg Ryan, who's wonderful. But the way that he ends up breaking up with his first girlfriend is they get stuck in an elevator with a group of other people. And they're sitting there in the elevator and they start talking about how this might be where they die. And they start reflecting on, well, if... If this is my last day in here, if I ever get out of here, one of the guys says, I'm going to go ask so-and-so to marry me. I've been putting it off for a long time. I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I wasting time? This, this could be my last day. The others start talking about how they're going to call their parents, how they're going to do a, a particular thing. And of course, Tom Hanks' girlfriend is complaining about what, where the breath mints are. And he realizes, this is not the person I want to be with. I don't want to be with somebody who's living their life for such stupid things. But what, what highlighted it? And the answer is, staring at death did. It, it changed the way they viewed things. Now, the Bible says this, Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us, Lord, to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. That, that you'll start thinking about the important things. I met two men in one week here at Harvest a couple weeks ago. Two men in one week both had a blood disease that they know is killing them. And so when I meet people like that, I usually try to engage in some conversation about it. I'm, I'm one of these guys who's like, if there's an elephant in the room, I'm like, did you guys see the elephant? He's over here. And I really wanted to know. I, I asked both of them, Christian men, I asked both of them, Do you, how has this disease influence the way that you think about things you know because we, we we we're always told this right you don't want to be on your deathbed 
looking back and saying, I wish I would have, I wish I would have, I wish I would have. Well, here's a couple of guys who are like pretty close to their deathbed. What, what are you thinking about? And both of them, both of the men said basically the same thing, which was, I would never wish to have this kind of blood disease. And yet now that I have it, it has brought me more clarity, love for God, joy with my spouse, happiness in the world as I walk through it than anything else has in my life. And so as much as I hate it, I would never want to go without it. It's a clarifying thing, death. What will you be happy what you did? When, you, when you're on your deathbed and you know that those are the last moments, what will you look back and think you were happy to do? Well, you start saying to yourself, I, man, I wish I did spend more time at the office. But will, will you look back and, and think, man, that game that I freaked out about in the eighth inning was really important. The 49ers making the Super Bowl was worth getting upset over. Guys, there's so many things that you and I think about and prioritize and consider on a daily basis that, that really have little place for occupying our worries. They, they, should, they should not take a preeminence in our hearts and minds like they do. They should not. They're not things that really matter in the end. Yet we place our hope and our joy and everything in them and thinking, oh, if, this, if I can, this moment can come through for me. And when you're laying there on your deathbed, I promise if I have a video and I show it to you, so remember how excited you were about this particular thing and incensed and angry? They said this about me. How do you feel now? Reorients our priorities. Second, um, I think death forces us to see our real place in the world. Uh, what is that? Uh, small. <laughs> Psalm 103, uh, 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and, and it's gone in its place. He knows no, it knows no more. It's a, very, it's a very brief thing. The flower of the field comes up. It's there for a short season. And it dries out almost sometimes as quick as it came up. And so the hot wind comes. There's not a lot of water around. It just goes away. Oh, Lord, what, what is man? This is Psalm 144. Oh, Lord, what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you think of him? Man, is like, he's like a breath. His day, days are like a passing shadow. He's in the cold morning, and it's gone. James says your life is but a mist. You appear for a little while, and then you, and then you vanish. But we get obsessed with how important we are and our lives are to the operation of the world or to the company or to this aspect of whatever. 2020, I was watching the Academy. Last time I watched the Academy Awards, 2020. I used to watch them all the time. But the last time I watched them, uh, I tuned in right at the point that they do the in memoriam. Do you guys know, remember in, in Academy Awards, they show this video of all the people in art and the performing arts who had died in the last year. People are part of the film industry. I'm gonna give you a list of the people they put on the screen. 2020, the in memoriam part of Academy Awards were Kobe Bryant, Michael Douglas, James Lipton inside the actor's studio, Kenny Rogers, the gambler, Roy Horn, who is the Roy version, part of Siegfried and Roy, Little Richard, 
Jerry Stiller, who is George Seinfeld's dad in Seinfeld and Ben Stiller's real dad. Charlie Daniels, country music star. Regis Philbin. Wilford Brimley, it's a good thing. Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther. Eddie Van Halen. Sean Connery. And Alex Trebek. The most important people in the world die. The people who claim, like John Lennon, that I'm going to be more important than Jesus, die. Everybody, everybody dies. And the fact that we, when we think about that, here's what happens. Humility replaces hubris. Our, our, our arrogance tends to float away. And what kind of arrogance? Our ability to control everything. And her desire to control everything. You're going to die. You have no control over it. It will come. And it will take you. And you don't have any control over it. And that's start, start you thinking. What things do I have control over in my life? Guys, seriously. You spend one third of every single day. Totally oblivious to the world around you. You snoring away in there. And the world goes on. Without you. We are not in control, quite honestly, of much at all. But the fact that we want to be in control is basically killing us. We want to place those burdens on our shoulders and say, but I have to be in control of these things. And I have to know the answers about things. And I, So we pick them up and we throw them on our shoulders and we're carrying them around and we're dying under the weight of something you cannot carry because you weren't made to do it. You weren't made, to, you're, you're going to die. You have limits. We moved from uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, where the water coming out of the taps is wonderful. You can stick your face under there and drink it like crazy. We came to Chicago area where if you do that, you will get lead poisoning or some kind of thing. So we, we ended up getting like de delivery bottles. We thought, well, okay, we're going to save because we're, you know, from that part of the Pacific Northwest. And so we're like, we're going to save the earth through recycling or not using plastic. And so we were like, this is going to be less than plastic water bottles and stuff. So we got the big water cooler things and. They deliver them. They put them. I put them inside the front door. When, when we first got there, like the first couple deliveries, my daughter, Sophie, she tried to pick up one of these water bottles and she had it. It's like 50 pounds, but she's had it with two hands. And now she's got to go up like six steps and across the floor to try to drag it to where the machine is. And she's, she starts in the first step and she's dying. And I, I said, honey, just leave it there. It's, it's just, too, it's, that's too big for you. Don't you, don't you ever think to yourself, maybe God is just trying to remind you through the sleep every day and the fact that if you looked at death, you'd say, I have limitations. And he'd be like, man, why don't you just leave some of that stuff there? You know, all the stuff you're picking up and saying, well, I'm worried about this because I got to make the changes so that the world goes. The Lord's like, that's a heavy water bottle, man. And you weren't meant to carry it. I, I have the ability, says the Lord, to carry those water bottles, but it's not for you. So why are you trying to pick them up all the time? Do you really have control over the, the way people think of you? Do you? Do, do, you, do you have any control at all over the opinions of others? Because that's really the one that I think of. That's the, there's five water bottles and four of them are, they think this of me. And I'm picking all of them up and carrying them. And there's no, I don't control that. I have limitations. I'm going to die. I don't have what's required to carry all of the weight of the world and the fact that there's injustice everywhere. I pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, but I don't have control ultimately over all of the sadness. I don't. But if I'm going to try to carry it constantly, it's just, it's just going to kill me. 
And sometimes it kills me. It's too big for you. You're not meant to carry that. All right, last one. Uh, death also raises questions about what's next. <laughs> of, course it, of course it does. The fact that we were all going to, we have an ending makes you wonder, all right, is it just off a cliff and into the, the abyss of nothingness? Like what, what's happening? There's a movie that Justin Timberlake was in. I do not recommend it. It's kind of boring. But it's, the movie's called In Time. I watched it a while ago. The movie is, basically the story is everybody, uh, they figured out a way for everyone to be perpetually 25 years old. So you, you grow to 25 and then at 25 years old you have one year to live. But you could get more time by working, by stealing the time from other people. You can get, you can get more time by, by doing that sort of thing all over the place. You can give some to your friend or whatever, but the... the the secret is on your forearm, there's always telling you how much time you have left. Several points in the movie, he gets down to 30 seconds or two seconds. And I actually think this would be a great thing to have for every single business. Basically, if Kohel could do it, he's like, do that. Put it on your arm so that you realize every single moment of your life that you don't have that much time left. If you look straight in the eye of death repeatedly, you will end up asking the most important question. What's that? Uh, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So if you want to know what the Bible has to teach about afterlife, judgment. That you will stand before the living God and you will give an account Sinclair Ferguson, great pastor, uh, Scottish pastor, he, he said, uh, behind everyone we meet stands the shadow of judgment. They themselves do not see it. They may have spent all their lives denying it or hiding from it, but one day the account will be presented. The verdict will be passed and the judgment given. And staring at death helps you realize that and raises then the question, are you prepared for it? So a uh, last 90s film reference is from 1989, but who cares? Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. There's a scene in this movie where uh, he's to Indy's driving a boat away from the guys who are trying to protect uh, the, 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 the chalice, uh, the cup of Christ from being found. By the way, if I just gave out the ending to you, I'm so, it's 80 something, okay? You should have seen it already. <laughs> There's a scene where he's driving the boat, you know, Indiana Jones, the other guy, he's jumping into the other boat, beating everyone up, and then that guy's jumping into his boat, and finally, they end in a place where there's a, there's a, the propeller of a massive ship, and it's cutting through this wood boat slowly as they fight and fight and fight further and further back on the ship, and then they get into this sort of like headlocks with each other, and Indy says to this guy, if you don't give, if you don't give in, we're both going to die, and the guy looks at him and says, my soul's prepared. How's yours? So the cliff is coming. I don't know when it, it could come after uh, church today for you. No guarantee. There's a lot of people in the world who've left a church meeting and died by getting hit by a train. It could be a long way off, but the cliff's still there. Right? The propeller is chopping away at your life and the bits and pieces of that boat are going further and further. So now that I've got you in a good headlock, uh, I, I gotta tell you, my soul's prepared. How's, how's yours? The, the only people who can treat death as a pet are the ones for whom the sting no longer remains. And the only way for the sting not to remain is to believe in the one who defeated it, the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to me, all that's required for you to follow Jesus and receive eternal life is to say openly, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I want to follow you the rest of my days here on earth so I can spend the rest of eternity with you. Don't delay. Don't delay. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm thankful that uh, death is defeated. <laughs> and when it is, it's, it, 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 the knowledge of it becomes uh, actually helpful. I do pray, Lord, that there, there are people in this room. You know, every time I speak to groups, Father, you know that, that there are people that you bring who are in the room who do not know you, who are living their lives filled with distractions. They are not asked or called by our society to think about death. They're told to put it off and pretend it's not happening. And therefore, they miss out on the benefit of thinking about what's next. And so I pray, Father, that spirit, you would come and that you would fill the minds and hearts of the people here and that, Jesus, you would be asking that question of people. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? And if there are those, Father, who, who do not believe that, yet have not committed their lives to Christ, I pray, Lord, that you, by your spirit, would convict them and move them to let go, they're not in control, to let go, to give up to you. So grant us salvation, we pray. Grant us a memory of salvation, we pray. If we've already been saved, help us to rejoice in the fact that we will never be stung by death. Face it, we will, but never be stung by it. And I pray, Father, that uh, you would grant so many this weekend and through our church and all the other churches in our region and all the other people who are proclaiming the gospel all over the world this weekend in churches and other places, I pray that this would be a great weekend of fruit as the Spirit draws in his people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.